So we're going through Philippians, and uh, last week, I don't know if you if you remembered to kind of read through that first chapter. Is that like news to you? If I had? so we're I'm, so I said I'm, we're not going to go like we're going to go through this book, but we're not going to necessarily go verse by verse. But we will sometimes. But we're going to do out little little like bumper sticker moments, and uh, or coffee cup mug moments that come out of there, or if you're into the tattoos that you'd want to put on, <laughs> put on yourself, that you'd want to tell the whole world about that, God. So little, just little phrases or little, little scripture shots that the Lord gives you. So as you as you read through that, see what God gives you. I, I don't know, did, did anybody get anything like that this last week as you read through the first chapter? Is there any coffee muggable, bumper sticker bowl, tattooable words? Okay. Next week, chapter two. <laughs> See what you could come up with, chapter two. Let's uh, let's read in the starting verse twelve of, of chapter one, and uh, you can follow along on your phone or in your Bible, or I, I don't know if it's up on the screen. I always use the New International Version. I think the Bible's back there, New Living Translation. It's kind of close. It's in the, basically the same language. Close. Anyway. Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have encouraged, have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of knowing that, or others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I, I, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not necessarily supposing what, not necessarily supposing that they could, they could stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help that's given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. For I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So we've just uh, gone through the 4th of July. There's a little thing that we celebrate that happened about 239 years ago or something like that called the Declaration of Independence. You read about that when you're in school. So the, the little bumper sticker bowl, coffee cup muggable 
tattooable thing of the Declaration of Independence is what? Do you remember? It's our inalienable, easy for me to say, inalienable rights. Life, liberty, pursuit of, that's Superman. <laughs> Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's an, it's an, <laughs> it's the right that we have just for living in this country. It's it's what we hang on to. Now it's easy to to gauge life for the most part. We know if we're alive or dead. Liberty's pretty pretty easy, whether you're free or not. But it, that interesting word in that little statement is pursuit of happiness. It's like we can't guarantee happiness, but you can pursue it all you want. You have the freedom to pursue it all you want. But even in the most powerful nation in the world. There's no guarantee of happiness. Just no guarantee. And so really what is our our American way of living is we pursue happiness. We want to, everybody wants to be happy. Be happy. We want to be how do you be happy? Happy have their songs of happiness. There are words of happiness. There are written books and seminars on happiness, happiness, happiness. And yet sometimes I think we're the most miserable people around. There's a lot of grouchy people all the time. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that today because Paul addresses it. And I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure I can ever tell you how to be happy. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we're not we're not going to prove this is the way. But I can in a few minutes tell you how to be miserable. I can guarantee misery from Paul's life. And so if you want to be miserable, here's what you do as we draw some things from Paul. Because he he wants you to know that, that that it's not really God's will for you to be miserable. That's kind of like the enemy's thing. Now, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But God has, has something better and more in turn for you. So here, here's some guaranteed ways to be miserable that you should not do at least. There, you have a little outline if you want to follow along with that or jot some of the things down. I don't have you fill in blanks because you have to stay awake to do that. So you can at least keep this with you the whole time through. But um, if you want to make your life miserable, because we pull from Paul, wait to be happy until your circumstances are just right. Perfect. You really want to be miserable. Yeah, just I am not going to be happy until all the stars line up and everything is going to be just perfect right don't you know that you might wait a little bit of time for that like forever you know at, at least until you know the the suns win another championship or you know the diamondbacks go to the world series some of those forever and ever things that we won't even talk about the coyotes you know but it's, it's going to be a long 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 time to wait good morning welcome come on in <laughs> What's great about this is you can't sneak in. You know, it's <laughs> great to see you. So, so Paul, when he's um, when he's working through his life, he says this in verse twelve. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, if you if you really would know about my circumstances. And most of us would just stop right then and just start talking about our circumstances. Because his circumstances are not good. In fact, we would all be going, oh, oh, Paul, oh, oh. I mean, if you look back to the last four years of Paul's life, 
he spends two years in a prison in a place called Caesarea. And he's just thrown in there for some trumped up reason. He gets on a ship and they're, and they're taking him off to Rome because he's going to meet with Nero, basically, who's not real kind to Christians. Maybe you've read a little bit about what Nero does and making them torches and all that. Kind of. And he's going to have an interview with Nero. On the way, he gets shipwrecked. That can't be a real fun experience. He gets stranded on an island, gets bit by a poisonous snake on that island, lives there through the winter, gets back on the ship, heads back to Rome, gets to Rome, is thrown in prison again for another two years. And every day for those two years, he has a guard on either side of him chained to him on four-hour implements. They come through, and they, you talk about no privacy. That's his circumstances. Now, if I were Paul, I would say, right, so if you knew about my circumstances, and let me tell you my circumstances, with tears in my eyes, I would bring it, and we would all go, you know, my life stinks, but it's not as bad as Paul's, you know, and we would all say, Paul. And and if I were Paul, here's what I would say. After I told you all this, I just want you to know, it's not easy being me. I hate this. I hate this life. And I, I quit. There, I quit, all right? If this is the way God's going to treat me, I'm just trying to, I'm just, I'm just a servant for God, doing my best. I'm done with this. I don't even sure, I'm, I didn't sign up for this. I don't think that's not the way God's supposed to treat people. I mean, I read Joel Osteen's book, and it's not in there like this at all. What? <laughs> I am not hanging with this. What? I'm done. I'm done. I quit, and we would say, Paul, I don't blame you. you know, I just We shouldn't have to live that way. I don't blame you. Not one of us would blame you. That's not what Paul says. He goes, when you know about my circumstances, I want you to know about them. I want you to know what happened to me. You know, it's, it's pretty evident. Here's what I want you to know, that that even in the midst of all these circumstances, it's really served to advance the gospel. And he starts to talk about how the gospel's advanced. Not, not in spite of his circumstances, but because of his circumstances. So much so that, he says, people will look around at me in prison and they start to recognize. I'm in chains, all right, but I'm in chains to Jesus. I'm in chains to Christ. That he's working something through all this that I never would have expected, I never signed up for, but it's advancing the gospel. And in fact, over and over again, he just starts to say, because of that, I take joy. I mean, I'm continually in joy because I see the gospel being advanced. I see Christ is going forward, and I, I see that it makes sense that I'm going through all this stuff. And that God uses things that, that just baffle me because even though I hate them, God's, go, God's getting stronger in his gospel through this. I want you to see that the gospel is serving advance. In fact, more people are talking about the Lord more courageously. More people are preaching about him. It's just going on. In, in a, it, it's kind of interesting because if, if you would have asked Paul what his, one of his main goals was, I'm going to go to Rome if I can get into the palace of Caesar and I can influence Caesar and I can influence the people in Rome and all the influential people, there'll be a place for the gospel to really take, take off. And I'm, I'm sure in his mind he thought, you know, I'll go into Rome and I'll, I'll hold this big crusade. We'll fill up the Colosseum and there'll be, you know, great music and, all, and I'm going to get up and preach and call for repentance and they're just going to come, you know, and the buses and the chariots will wait and, you know, we're just going to have them all come down and people are just going to flock to the Lord and, and the Caesar is going to be so impressed that he's going to call me for an interview and I'm going to sit across the table and I'm going to tell him about Jesus and all of Rome is going to just become Christian. 
That's probably what he thought it is. My he's like us good old American pastors, at least. That's kind of the way we do it. And what is interesting is God, God wanted to influence the palace of Caesar, but he had a whole different way of doing it. Every four hours, one of the most influential citizens in the Roman Empire would come and be chained to him. The Roman elite crack praetorium guard that were paid more than anyone else in the Roman system. And when they retired, after, which they were eligible to do after 12 years, they would go and they would live and they'd have the most influence. They'd become the senator sometimes. They would be part of the government. And, and he had a chance for at least four hours at a time to talk to them about Christ. And, and we read later on in history that in, 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 the, uh, in Nero's uh, reign that his wife was a Christian. He had a couple of his kids that were Christians. He had a brother, I think, that were Christian. They all got killed because he killed them all because of it. Not a, not a real popular place to be. But that we see that the gospel got advanced. How in the world did it get advanced into that place? Probably because of the influence Paul had in a place called prison that nobody would put in our, on our happy radar. You know, if you were in prison and you were getting beat up and you were getting you know, bit by a snake and shit, you, that would not be on your happy radar, would it? Not at all. So Paul says, I, I, I see it differently. Ha- happiness is a, is a weird thing. It comes from the, the English root word of happenstance, which means I, you know, I'm, the stance I'm in, the, the position I'm in, has everything to do with what happens to me. When good things happen to me, my feelings follow the good things, and I'm happy. Bad things happen to me, my feelings follow the bad things, and I'm not happy. I want to avoid bad things happening to me. I want more good things, and everything will just line up. It's this happiness illusion so that if I, if I can just have that job and I can just make that salary and if I can just, you know, have this happen in our marriage and this happen to our children and if I can live in that house, in that neighborhood and drive that car, then I'll be happy. But if one of those just kind of go sideways and blows it all off and we have this, this happiness illusion that just never quite gets there. There's a guy named um, Sean Acor, who was a professor at Harvard, who started a class on happiness for for Harvard students, which is kind of interesting. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, out of that comes a little book that he wrote called The Happiness Advantage. And he he identifies something called the horizon effect. You know, we love the horizon. You look out in the horizon, there's, there's, you know, heaven meets earth. And if you put the sunset right there, ooh, I, you know, I really love that. But put the ocean and the sunset. I, I love the horizon. But you ever notice that it's, it's not real? <laughs> that there's never heaven meeting earth? There's never that place of the horizon? It's, it looks so beautiful. It's so alluring. And sometimes we want to follow after that, but we never get there. And in his book, he says, we're, we're always searching for the horizon, the next horizon, the new horizon. The happiness is at the horizon. And, and we just never get there. And we fall into that pursuit of happiness, which is your American right to pursue happiness. But Paul says, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're ever going to find it. And I guarantee you one way to be miserable is to wait for everything to line up before you're ever happy. And so we're starting to be introduced by Paul to something different called joy, which is, is not a feeling that follows after things that happen to you. Um, Dallas Willard calls joy a condition. It's a condition of our character. You know, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, 
peace, patience, kind. It's a, it's a condition that we're in. So that no matter the circumstances, no matter the happenstances, there's, there's available joy to us. And, and I think Paul would tell you, you can kind of see it as you, as you look for the way he deals with it, that, that when I recognize God in my life, I recognize God's good. I got, I recognize God's working in my life that he's, he's got a plan that's bigger than me. And when I recognize Romans eight twenty eight, hey, I think I'll write that down. Well, um, I, all things work for good. I, you know, when I recognize that, when I recognize that, I recognize that he's, he's doing something all the time for his good and for his glory. And I take joy in that. I take joy in that. So I, I guarantee you, if you want to be miserable, just wait till all the stars line up. You're going to be waiting a long, long time. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't have the prison and the shipwreck and stuff. I have enough stuff going on to say, if it's, if it's happenings in my life that's going to make me happy, that's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. Second thing, you want to be miserable, compare yourself to other people. I guarantee misery if you go around comparing. In verse uh, 15, he starts to talk about some of those people. You know, I have the, I have the gospel being advanced. There's, a, there's more people preaching Christ. Some preach out of envy and rivalry. Some preach, preach out of selfish ambition. Some preach out of goodwill. Some people are, are sincere in what they're doing. Some of them are just preaching to stir up trouble for me, he says. You know, he, he could easily say, oh, woe is me. I, I'm sitting in prison. I got these guys out there preaching, and and some of them are becoming more famous than me while I'm sitting here in this old prison. Some are becoming more well known. Some are more effective. Some of them are, are they're they're basing their whole life not on God. What do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you want me to what kind of ministry? They're they're saying, here's what here's Paul. What can I do to be better than Paul? What can I do to trash Paul's name? What can I do to show you that, that Paul's not that great? That I'm better because there's something in us that at times goes, if I can be better than so-and-so, I'll be more happy. If I have more than so-and-so, if I, if I, if I recognize more than so-and-so, or if I can't have more than so-and-so, at least if so-and-so can be less, if they can be more miserable, you know, it, it's not even so much what I have, just take it away from them kind of thing. Make, make it more miserable for, for them. I'll be happier even. And, and, uh, we get on this, Thing. I don't, I don't know. You ever find yourself going? Uh, I wish, I wish, it, I wish we had a home like so and so, or I wish our marriage was like so and so. I wish our children were like. I wish, it, I wish I had the the bank account or the the cars like, or or you find out someone else is struggling and you go. And, and isn't it crazy? So every day we pull up Facebook that shows everybody at their very best. And you, you have a tendency to go, oh, they're in Hawaii again. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that great? They're in Hawaii again. I wish I were in Hawaii. You know, and then you you know you read their boat sinks or something. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, God. <laughs> that horrible to hear. Oh. And, and you just feel... You you get in this comparison thing and it it, it can go crazy on you. There's a uh, old story about a lady who dies and in, in she goes to 
to the gates of heaven, and there's St. Peter. And uh, kind of looks at the record of her life, and he goes, he goes well, what do, what do I need to get in? St. Peter, he said, well, it's pretty easy. To get into heaven, all you got to do is spell one word, and you're in. Okay, what's that word? Love. She spells it easy enough. She's in heaven, living for eternity, loving heaven. One day, St. Peter calls her to the gates, and he says, um, I'm going to go fishing for a few hours. I'd like you to kind of man the gates for a little bit, kind of watch who's coming in and out, that kind of thing. And so she says, okay, for a couple hours, I can handle that. She's there, and her uh, her husband comes to the gates. And she goes, oh, sweetheart, how you been? So good to see you. He goes, I've been great. <laughs> you remember that beautiful young nurse that cared for you while you were in the hospital dying? I married her. And uh, and we won the lottery. And you know that old house that we lived in for all those years? Sold that. Bought a big old huge house. In fact, we got a house at the beach and the mountains and that house. We traveled all over the world together. In fact, we were in the Swiss Alps skiing when I had this accident. And so here I am. So glad I, I made it this far. What do I need to do to get into the to the gates of heaven? She looked them up. You just have to spell one word. Czechoslovakia. <laughs> you, you just don't know a lot of happy people that are jealous and envious and comparing. It's just, it's just not there. They did a study on, on comparing and stuff. And, and the, the hypothesis of the study at Stanford University was um, that most people compare up. And so uh, they're, they're going, you know, so and so has. More possessions than me, they make more money than me, they have better whatever, better education than me. And and the hypothesis was that if people will compare down, the people that compare down will be happy. There are people a lot worse than me, the people that have, you know, no food, no education, no whatever. But what they found was that happy people don't compare either way. That there's no comparison up and there's no comparison down, that they rejoice with the people that are, have more and they, they have compassion for those who have less. And that their life and their success is based on intrinsic values of something more than what somebody else has or does not have. I thought that's kind of interesting. Um, I think I think joy comes when when we can start praying for that person that we we would maybe be jealous of and be envious of. That we can instead of comparing ourselves, I mean Jesus put the the bar pretty high where he says, you know, pray for your enemies. We could at least pray for those that were, that were sometimes got this, these feelings toward. Because if you want to be miserable, compare yourself all the time. Same way with the church. I mean, when you look at, at, at a church, at, we, here at one, we could, we could sit here and be completely miserable by looking at our circumstances. You know, things, things a couple years ago look different than now. And, you know, and, and you've gone through all these months and months and months without a pastor and, you know, there, there have been some hard times and tough times, and some people you love are no longer with you. And all, you know, you could just go on and on about your circumstances. But here's the question: Can can the can the gospel be advanced still? Can the can the kingdom still be advanced? Because it's not circumstance. Every church is going to have circumstances. Bigger churches have bigger stuff than that. Believe me, I've been a part of those things. It's not the circumstances that are going to bring us joy. It's our are we bringing the kingdom? A little further on, and as you look on, you know, we got a pastor coming, and we we got we got a place here, and you know, we, there's there's good circumstances, but 
It's the it's the advancement of the gospel. You can compare yourself to this church and that church and other church and they got this and they got that and that kind of stuff. You'll go crazy with comparison. You'll be miserable with comparison. But uh but we keep on and we pray on and and, and uh and then the third thing that, that will make you miserable is to try to go it alone. Try to go it alone. If you look at verse 19, Paul says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Christ, that what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I know that through your prayers. I mean, you, as you read through the book of Philippians, you can. it's almost like a, a thank you letter to this church. It's a love letter, if you will, to this church. He 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 opens it up in that very first few verses with thanking God for who they are, and he later on as he closes the thing, he he names some of them, and he you can just see this love, and he and finally he just says all these circumstances that would wipe most people out, the way I got through them, you expect him to say this, the Spirit of Christ with me, yeah, well you know Jesus is always the answer, you feel that Spirit of Christ, yes, and and your prayers, your prayers, your prayers for me got through got me through this. And if he would have gone alone, he, 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 he probably would have every reason to be sitting there and feeling sorry for himself in prison, but he had, the, he had the people of God holding him up in prayer. When you go through scripture, it doesn't talk a lot about being alone, being the lone ranger in your faith as something good. In fact, when, when God creates the world, he just says, um, to be alone is not, it's not good. That's the first not good thing. Everything else is good, good, good. And then man should not be alone. Bad. For him to create a wife and on and go with that. Uh, the Old Testament talks about a cord with two or three, uh, a rope with two or three cords are stronger than, than one. Um, I heard a saying a while back that I really love. It says, if you want to go faster, go, go by yourself. If you want to go farther, go together. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to I make it to the end. And we, and we need one another to do that. I've I've been a pastor for a long time, almost as long as the Declaration of Independence, but not not quite that long. But um, here's what I've noticed about people in churches: that those who connect last, those who connect grow, those who connect stay stronger, those who try to do it alone fall off, those who are spectators just you know come and go and that kind of thing. But the ones that really make it are the ones that connect. And um, the great thing that you have going for you is it, it's an easy place to connect here. We're at a, we're at a place with, with um, a, you, you can't be anonymous very long here. And, and you can connect. You can connect to the team. You can connect to serve. You can, you can just make it your own project to connect. And you can connect. Whether You can help with children. You can help with teenagers. You can help with worship. You can help clean up things and you can you can help you know, there's there's probably more things than I even know about or if, if nothing else you can you can say every every Sunday I'm going to come there and I'm not going to worry about you know will somebody notice me or will somebody say hi to me or will they be friendly to me I'm going to go there and and I'm going to connect with somebody and just encourage them I'm going to be the encourager of one church and I'm going to every day not be about me but every Sunday come there because somebody needs to hear encouragement every Sunday. And and as you start to do that, you start to recognize that it's the person who gives that receives. It's the person that, that reaches out and, and embraces others that is embraced by others. 
that Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come to be pampered, I came to serve. And as I serve, you, you start to see that, that, that it's a different quality of, of life that is lived through that. You're going to be miserable, just, just be, isolate yourself and go it alone. But joy comes with one another. There will come a time, if there hasn't yet, when you'll go through something that perhaps the only way you're going to get through it is the strength of the Spirit of Christ and the prayers of their brothers and sisters in your family called the church. And when that starts to happen, not only do you take on a, a, a different relationship in your walk with Christ, but the church does. Because you start to see that not only do I need you, but you need me and, and we need one another. And that's when we start to become this thing called the body of Christ. And joy comes when the body of Christ is functioning like the body of Christ is meant to do. And so, don't go to, don't go to alone. Connect with one another as best you can. And then finally, I, I kind of struggled with the, with the wanted, way I wanted to say. What I wanted to say was, if you want to be miserable, make happiness your, your goal. You know, focus on happiness. Because, the more you pursue happy, to be happy, the more it becomes elusive to you. And the more you, you seek God's will and God's purposes, the more you find happiness is thrown in there. But I didn't, I didn't want to leave it out with happy because I've actually known people who, who seek not happiness but seek to be miserable. You ever know people like that, that there's this weird happiness in their misery that they have? So, so I, I think the question is not even seeking happiness. I think it's seeking ourself. It's, it's becoming preoccupied with ourself. And Paul has his, here's Paul's tattoo statement. Here's Paul's little, little bumper statement. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Here, here's my question for you. How would you fill that blank in? For me, to live is, and that really tells you who you're pursuing and what's number one in your life. For me to live is, some people would say, for me, for me to live is our possessions. Possessions. You know, the old get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. Uh, the more I can get, the more I can get, the more I can get, the more I can get. That's, that's the American way. Um, and it might not be that word "pose" might be so your career becomes your number one thing, your job, whatever your your bank account, whatever. For me to live is possessions, or it might be for me to live is pleasure. Pleasure, but what feels good? It could be recreation, it could be uh, alcohol, drugs, it could be sex, it could be uh, family, enjoying family. It, it could, but it all falls into for me to live. If I've had pleasure, that's 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 life. It might be for me to live uh, is power or uh, control or prestige or uh, image. What people think of me, popularity. For me to live, how how'd you fill that blanket? For me to live. When you look at Paul's life, all of a sudden it makes sense. For me to live is Christ. So that I'm in the most adverse circumstances you can think of. Everything's turned around. The last four years have been miserable. But I have joy 
Because for me to live is Christ. And when I see the kingdom is advancing and the gospel is advancing, yes, I have joy. I'm not happy all the time. I've got joy because I know God's at work. And when I see other people, you know, preaching the gospel and, and, you know, some are envious and some are ambitious and they're tearing me down. What, what, it, what, who cares? He says, what, what's the matter? No big deal because for me to live is Christ. And if Christ gets the word out, the word out of Christ gets out there, that's all that matters. And for me, just to know that I have the spirit of Christ in me, that I have this, the body of Christ praying for me, Paul would say. I know whatever happens to me, my deliverance is right there. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Hmm. How would you answer that? Paul says, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather go to heaven. I mean, prison and beaten and all that kind of stuff. I'd rather just be with Jesus. But I'm going to hang here because I know I've got a purpose to do. Every breath I take for me to live is Christ. Then when it comes time, it's going to be even better. It's going to be gain. So, in order for this not to be too joyful and cheerful of a time, I'm going to give you one of the most painful little tests at the end. Okay, so you're not going to be happy. Maybe you'll be joyful. This is going to help you fill in that blank because I know we're in church and so everybody easily can say, for me to live is Jesus. Or for me to live is Christ. That, that's the right answer, right? Before you do that, I'm not going to let you just do that real easily. Okay, you got to, you got to run it through this, gr- this grid first. It's painful. Okay, ready? Smile at me and say, oh, okay. If you uh, this afternoon had a, a group of half a dozen people who know you, gather in a room and they're going to talk about you without you being there. And they're going to take a little quiz with you as the subject. These are people you work with or people at home that you live with, people that, that know you real well. And they're going, to, they're going to rate you. And I'm just going to give them a list of, of words and let them rate you. Words like this. And just think about what they would say about you. You're not there. You can't hear him talk. If you were a fly, you'd be there. Career advancement. Like high, medium, low. Good times. Party. Fun. Family. Freedom. Liberty to do this, liberty to do that. Money. Possessions. God. Good causes. Recreation. Sports. Watching it. Playing golf, tennis. Going to games. Being popular. Church. Friendships. Prestige. Approval of others. Your comfort. Your safety. Some may be high on their list, some low, but they're they're talking about for you, put your name that, for you to live is. 
And then as you think about what other people would say about you, ask yourself these three questions. First one is this. Where does your mind go? Where's your mind focus when it just free to roam? You know, what what do you what do you catch yourself daydreaming about? Your mind can go just anywhere. Where where does it go? Second question. Where do you love to invest your free time? Where do you love to invest your free time? You know, you have an unexpected day off or you um, you know, an, an evening with nothing planned. What well, what would you like to do with it? What you get involved with your time says a lot about your value, what you value in life. Third thing, what do you do with your your discretionary income? What do you love to support with your dollars? So basically, what I'm asking is, if, if you were to list your calendar and your checkbook and what your friends say about you, how would you fill in that little statement? For me to live is the number one priority in my life is the Lord of my life is how'd you answer that? If you were to face God, which we will at one day, and he says, I gave you one life to live. One huge life. 50 years, 85 years, 105 years. To do whatever you wanted to do with your life. For you to live was what? How would you like to answer our Creator with that statement? For me to live. I think, as tough as that is, and as most difficult as it is to, to wrestle with, that until we get that question answered, that joy is elusive to us because we chase after things that we think will make us happy. But they're all tied in to what happens to us. But when the purpose of who Jesus is, when the person of who Jesus is becomes number one, what's Jesus say? Seek first my kingdom Seek me first, and all these things are added.